Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Project Church, how's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, are you doing well? Man, we have a great team worshiping for us, with us, leading us into worship, and we're going to continue to worship through the reading of God's Word. Um, Everything that we do, everything that um, God is giving us breath to endure can be worship to God. So I don't know if you feel like you're enduring or if you're just sitting or what you feel like, but listening to the word is an opportunity for you to worship God. Give him your thoughts, give him your heart, and just open up your hearts to what he has for you today. I believe he has a lot. I know as I was preparing this week, um, he was giving me a lot. And so I don't want you to think that I'm like this holy person that who's come down and is now going to share the word with you. We all, however, do need this word, myself included. So if you're new to Project Church, welcome. Um, Like Sam said, I'm the co-lead pastor alongside my husband, Caleb. He's roaming around with um, a bandana around his forehead, and he looks like the karate kid. Uh, so say hi to him. My father-in-law said he's a member of the Crips. We are not sure what color um, bandana he should be wearing to be in accordance with that group. <laughs> Why am I saying all this? Welcome, Project Church. Um, if this is your first time here, we are starting a two-week mini-series on the presence of God. Typically, we like to go um, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through certain books of the Bible. We just completed Genesis, which took us about eight months. Um, We did a more abbreviated version of Genesis, if you could believe that. It took us almost eight months to do that. But one season, we took about three to four years, almost four years, uh, reading through the book of Mark. And so we are here approaching the halfway mark of the year which means that we are really close. We're on the other side of being like Christmas. Anybody else? (laughs) Hey, I start celebrating in September. Any other Filipinos in the house or people who are obsessed with, thank you, um, obsessed with Christmas? Here, what we are recognizing that here at the halfway point, we want to be reminded of what God has told us that 2023 was about. We have um, added in January a brand new blueprint slash core value to our church, and that's called Presence, Our Priority. We at Project Church, as we approach this two-week series um, and half point of the year, we want to press into the presence of God and prioritize it. We want to be a presence church Because here's the thing that if we start prioritizing anything outside of his presence, then they actually are only our preferences and that will only leave us more self-reliant. And if you believe what what we've been preaching is that um, God does a work when we prioritize his presence. And we've seen it happen this year. We feel like God's moving us in a different direction. And we want to be like Moses in Exodus where we read him saying, God, I don't want to go anywhere that your your presence isn't there. We don't want to go anywhere without his presence. I I need the presence of God to go to the gas station. 
I need the presence of God to uphold me. I need him in my life. We need him in our life. If we want to see his hand move in the lives of his people and his church and his bride, then we're going to prioritize his presence. So Caleb and I, we were talking about this series and we believe that he's saying, press into the presence. Listen to what I've been telling you. Remind everybody, remind yourselves that halfway through the year, it's still the priority. But we did declare this year that we were going to be a house of miracles in January. And we're not going to experience miracles if we aren't experiencing the presence of God because miracles happens through the presence of God. Some of us have become so self-reliant when good things happen in our life that we cause to happen and we try to take credit for, we call those miracles. And I feel like we aren't really seeing miracles take place because um, we're trying to do everything on our own. And so let's stop being self-reliant. Church this is a reminder to you. This is a reminder to ourselves. Miracles take place void of your hand, void of your strength, and void of your control. In other words, the Spirit of God in miracles does what only He can do. So we're going to continue to believe this place is a place of miracles, but we're going to press in by understanding the Spirit of God, by asking God to help us understand His presence in the next couple of weeks. So today, my message is titled, He is Holy. Somebody say, He is Holy. So I'll be teaching from Isaiah 6, but I want you to listen to this as more of an invitation to experience the presence of God, not just another teaching that will make your life better. Here's the mistake that we make when we come to church. We come to church hoping that our life will be made better. If we could just hear the word, take heed, and we become so obsessed with making ourselves better when God is saying, I need you to be obsessed with me. So James 3.1, man, this has nothing to do with holiness, but this has everything to do with my heart and my intention going into this word. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Man, when I was preparing, I was like, God, why would you bring this to my attention? And he, he, I felt like he was speaking to me through it as a warning to myself and a warning to you. In this day and age, I wonder if some teachers will be judged with greater strictness, like the scripture says, for one of two things. Number one, teachers are actually tempted to lead believers to themselves. Teachers are actually leading people to themselves. And some people in this room have fallen for it. Some of us are more in love with teachers than we are with Jesus. Making you addicted to secondhand revelation and dangerously drifting into self reliance. You want to hold on to the word that was spoken so that you can implement, you can implement, you can change, you can transform, you can move, you can shake, and it becomes about you. The word is for us, but the word should bring us closer to Him. Amen. Teachers, Chrissy, Caleb, Sam, Project Church. Don't lead believers to yourselves. And another way I think that some teachers will be judged is that teachers may become sick from your response of praise or nauseatingly obsessed with your critiques. I've been there before. Like, do they, did, did they really get that? Oh, oh man, I did a really good job. I got a lot of people said, great message. We can become sick from your response of praise 
and obsessed with how you judge us. How many likes or hearts on Instagram you do or do not display. Dude, it's scary. The temptation to steal glory from a holy God is ever present. We need to be careful, church. So today I'm not coming to you just to teach. Although he has given me that responsibility today, I am coming to you, inviting you to experience the presence of a holy God. This is not a teaching that will lead you to a higher self or me, a haughtier teacher, but you to be a worshiper of a holy God. We need to worship the holy God in his presence. What is the presence of God? Is it the chills when the bass starts kicking and the smoke starts coming, right? And then they're like, doo, 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 and everybody raise their hands. Is that the presence of God? I was hoping to get more laughs from that. Okay. <laughs> I'm like really serious. You can laugh, please. It's not all that. It's not adrenaline. It's not just tears, although I'm always crying. It's not the chills. It's the presence of God is when you are present with who he is. Ooh. When you're present with who he is, it's amazing that a holy God invites you to be close to him. If we're going to experience the presence of God, we must experience his holiness. So today I'm preaching from the text Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. And this is a really important message because from Isaiah 1 through 5, we see what happens in the kingship of King Uzziah. He was the second um, longest standing king reigning over Israel, and he was wildly successful. He um, had many um, followers. He had many victories in battle. He had much affluence, much influence, and he was killing it as king of Israel. Over 50 years of kingship and God's favor, his, his favor was upon him. And a lot of great things happened in his reign. But towards the end of his reign, in the last couple of years, he, become, he became haughty. He became self-reliant and he became pretentious and presumptuous. And he got to the place where he's like, you know what? These priests who are the only ones who are allowed to burn incense in the temple, I could do that. I'm the king. Look at how much favor is on my life. I can do that. And so be careful when you think that you can do something better than... Um, than be careful if you think that you can do something better in a position that God has not given you. Some of us need to hear that about your boss. Somebody needs to hear that about their spouse. Somebody needs to hear that about the authorities. Ooh! Somebody needs to hear that about the government. Yikes. Be careful because when we become arrogant, like King Uzziah, guess what happens to King Uzziah? He goes in there, he, he tries to burn the incense and all the priests are trying to um, get him out of the temple and then he gets struck with leprosy. And it's sad. It's sad, but here, that's like the first five chapters of Isaiah. And it talks a lot about his holiness in Isaiah. And that's what we really get to see in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, the holiness of God. But what happens before we see this vision that Isaiah, the prophet, who was made prophet within the kingship of Uzziah, he talks about and has this vision of God's holiness and his throne room, but it happens after Uzziah dies. And can I tell you, I feel like that's a word for somebody that if you need vision in your life, something must die. 
that has taken rain and thrown in your heart. I need you to hear me today that God's holiness and a clear vision of his holiness is predicated on you dethroning something from your heart. What is it that needs to die so that you can see clearly? So Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, let's go. <laughs> In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. His train filled the temple. Again, this is a vision that Isaiah was given from the Lord. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. It's getting weird. With two who covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and I just imagine a big, monstrous angel um, warrior, okay? Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then verse eight, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people, and I'll continue later, but that is a vision that Isaiah had. You're like, okay, what's going on here, Chrissy? If we're gonna understand his holiness, we're gonna understand the throne room of God. We're gonna understand three different parts of this scripture. First, we're gonna understand the throne, verses one through four. And the, king, the year the king Uzziah died, he was sitting upon the throne. I want you to understand where God is seated in your life and in all of the universe. He's sitting high and exalted above everything, above everything, every principality over every power of this universe. He is high and lifted and he deserves to be exalted because he sits up so high. In, in Revelation 4, you, you see another vision that John is giving and it says, come up here. And like all these creatures are around the throne room and they have eyes outside of them and inside of them. And they're all looking, coming up and looking for him because that's where he resides. He resides seated high and above the heavens. He's high and lifted high. Somebody needs to hear that for their situation today. I'm not gonna just talk about all application today because here's the thing, I, I don't want this to be about how can, we can apply. I need you to understand that how awesome he actually is. But he is seated high and he's lifted up. And then the robe, the robe, the train of his robe fills the temple. I'm thinking about the train of the robe of a bride. And it's really long and it's really bright and it's white and it's beautiful. And when you're at a wedding, it is the focal point of the day, right? Um, I was just at our spiritual formation pastor, Alex. Um, her wedding was just a few weeks ago. She's married to one of our drummers. Um, that's exciting when people that love God come together. Come on, this is a pl great place to find your future mate, single people out there. Like legit, he saw her through the drum cage. She's walking, I'm just kidding, okay, sorry. 
they're gonna love this when they're listening to this. But anyways, she had a big train on her wedding dress. And actually, my friend and I, we had a little part to play. It was like Filipino tradition. Um, we had to put a veil around her and a cord around her and Nathaniel. And we were each like, like just crawling, <laughs> like just stepping like this, being careful not to step on her train because it was flowing everywhere. And we both did. And so there's footprints on her beautiful white dress, but that's okay. But it's meant to bring attention to her. But I want you to hear that the train of God's robe fills the temple. So if he was standing here in bright white, right? And his train of his robe, the train of his robe, a robe talks about his affluence. It talks about his treasures. It shows his majesty. It shows his splendor. It shows how amazing and how high lifted up he is. It shows how rich he is. His train of his robe fills the temple. So I wish, why didn't I bring a curtain or something or a big dress? But the robe is like filling from here to here over the front row, over you all here. Oh, into the second row, third row, fourth row. And it's so full in the temple that you can't even see yourself, I bet. Ooh, some of us are so obsessed with getting better for ourselves that we missed, that we totally miss the train of his robe filling the temple, that he has riches for your provision. He has healing for your wounds. He has everything that you need. All we need to do is approach his throne. He is the king of all kings. Isaiah's statement conveys the magnitude of God's glory. You know what God's glory is? His holiness is something that we can't really see. If we were to try to understand his holiness, we can't stand it. He's so holy that it would, like, it would be like us getting closer to the sun. Okay, this is how majestic God is. He is so infinite in his wisdom. He is so qualitatively different from anything. Oh, he's so different. He's, there's the magnitude of God's glory. God's glory is his holiness manifest. You know, when we give God glory for what we hear in a song, we're not glorifying the songwriter or the people singing it. We're giving God glory for giving them the strength to write it and sing it. We're not giving, when we say great word, pastor, you, we should be giving glory to God who gave me the strength to teach it. It is not for my glory. Oh, Jesus, it is not for my glory. The magnitude of God's glory with this train of his robe is compared to any earthly king or queen it shows God's infinite splendor and majesty, his glory. And then we continue to read that the seraphim, man, they can't even be in that. Everything's covering them because the glory is so bright and so great that they can't even look at him. Do you hear that? Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I love it that the seraphim don't even talk to God because he's so glorious. 
they talk to each other. I was just telling Caleb and a friend of mine, I just, I just want to get old and talk about the things of God. If I want to really give God glory, I'm not going to talk about the things that I've achieved. I'm not going to talk about the problems of this world. My God is greater and I want to live a life that gives him glory. I want to get old and gray and talk about the goodness of God. I want to talk about how good he is. I want to talk about how he redeemed me, how he set me free. But I want you to focus less on what he does for you and focus on his holiness. I want to be like the seraphim. God, may I be so obsessed with you that I can't even see my problems, that I trust you to resolve them yourself. And I just bask in the beauty of your glory. The root word for the words that the seraphim are saying to each other, holy, 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 is to cut off from. And something that is cut off from needs to be devoted to. So when something is cut off and is, it becomes holy, then it's removed from what's common. It's removed from what's defiled. It remo- it's removed from what is impure. So it is pure, pure. In Leviticus, it, excuse me, in Leviticus, it says that, uh, that a metal or a gold is pure, pure in order to identify that it is very pure. But in the Hebrew language, there are no superlatives. So you can't say it's very pure or it's very awesome or it's super duper great, (laughs) okay? So what the Hebrews do is that they say pure, pure gold. So here, what we see is the first time you see an adjective described three times. Holy, holy, holy. Not just holy, holy, but holy, holy, holy. That means that something is separated. And that means that it has infinite qualitative difference. God is different from everything that else that is. It's like when he says that Moses is standing on holy ground. This is where he says, I am that I am. I am holy. I am not like anything else. Nothing can be compared to me. I'm separate from everything else. Separated from, but therefore devoted to. He's not holy. God is not holy because he keeps the rules. God's not holy because he keeps the law. He made the law. And when we keep the law, it reveals how holy he is. Do you understand? It's not revealing how holy we are. Sometimes we think, man, if I came to church, if I sang the song, if I raised my hand, right? If I went to a second Saturday and served at Fort Sacramento, if I served on Sunday religiously for a whole year straight, if I served at that girls' event because I'm sowing to the next generation, if I did this for them, if I didn't just tithe, but if I, I gave above and, above and beyond the tithe, I'm more holy. No. When we, are, when we do anything good, it reveals how good and holy he is. We're separated, God, excuse me, separated from everything and devoted to, devoted to. God is absolute. Everything else is derivative or dependent upon him. You know, sometimes we think about God's grace and we're like, oh God, I need God's grace when I sin. I need his forgiveness. And we think that God's grace is only something that we need when we make a mistake or where we have fallen short. But I think we need to get to the point where we realize that God's grace isn't just for your need. It's not always just about you. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) It's also about how he holds the world at the palm of his hand and how he has given you breath. How he is, it's because of his holiness 
that he is able and his grace that he's able to sustain the world and the universe and the planets. Do you understand? It's God's grace that gives you life. It's not just about what you've done wrong. And then we see the seraphim in the, in the throne room. Man, this is so cool. It's so cool. They just are saying, holy, holy, holy to one another. And then the foundations, the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. You know what's so interesting to me? That the seraphim are just talking to each other about him and they still only say, holy, holy, holy. They can't, they can't even fit in another word, right? Have you ever been to a basketball game? I swear when I'm, I'm there, I'm just like, dang, they are so huge. They're like gigantic. When I look at, over at Andrew right over there, he's like freaking 630. I don't know what, I don't know how tall you are. <laughs> like, I just, I'm like, wow, you are so tall. Wow. I can't, I'm like, hold a normal conversation with him. Start trying to figure out how do you, how do you walk under doors? And you know, you, wanna, you know what I'm saying? I'm sorry, bro. You're sitting right there. I can see you. Um, if you're watching online, Andrew's sitting in the fourth row. Okay. Um, but when you see something, you're just like, Whoa. the The seraphim have nothing else to say but holy. Oh, they don't see their mistakes. They don't see their shortcomings. They don't see how inferior they are to him. They see all they can say and utter is holy. The throne, there's holiness. But then we see an altar experience that Isaiah has after he sees all these things, okay? He can't really be in the room until he recognizes who he is. And that's why we all need an altar experience. You know what an altar experience is? Have you ever come down to the front and you had prayer over you? Or do you ever, have you ever like said, Lord, I'm just going to give that up so that I can serve you? That's an altar moment. So Isaiah has an altar moment with God. He says, he looked around and he saw smoke. So maybe the mist on the stage is part of the presence of God. Just kidding. <laughs> but he says, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of the people of the unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, I'm in the throne room, but I'm having an altar experience right now because I've seen him and I see the seraphim worshiping him, but I can't even say holy. I'm just in awe. Because you know what's happening in Isaiah? He's realizing how much he needs God. He's realizing that, oh my gosh, I, I'm so depressed. I, I, I am so impure. I am so not holy. I may be a prophet here on earth, but I'm not holy. There's no way that I'm going to be holy. Woe is me. And some people think woe is me. It's like, oh, I suck. You're so holy. And I'm bleh for lack of better words, bleh. But really, woe is Isaiah cursing himself. It's much stronger than just feeling bad. It's saying, I've had a revelation of who God is. And somebody needs to hear me that you're not gonna get healed until you recognize how holy he is. If you want a true experience with his presence and who God actually is, then you're gonna finally realize who you really are and how woefully you need him. Charles Spurgeon, he says, nothing teaches us about the preciousness of the creator God as much as when we learn the emptiness of everything else, including ourselves, including ourselves. The more self-focused that we are, the more we walk away from the altar because we don't want to sacrifice anything. When you find yourself no longer sacrificing, I wonder if you're walking in self-importance. 
against God's holiness, when we're in his presence, we do see how unholy we are. And God is so kind to show us how unholy he is. It's his kindness to lead us to see ourselves and lead us to repentance. He's so kind. He's so good. He's so faithful. He doesn't have to do anything for us, but he does. His holiness reveals who we are and our sin demands a payment. We must pay something. So here's what happens. Isaiah says, woe is me. He curses himself for I am lost. He sh I sh in his mind, he's probably saying, I should say holy. That's what the seraphim are doing because they, they are acquainted with his presence. They are with him day and night. I, 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 I should be saying holy, holy, holy. But all I can see is myself. So God in his presence is so kind to us to reveal ourselves to him to the way that he revealed himself to Isaiah and revealed Isaiah to Isaiah. Do you hear me? Some of us need Chrissy revealed to Chrissy, Jen revealed to Jen, Blake revealed to Blake, Sarah revealed to Sarah. In the presence of God, that's what happens. And some of us will be like, woe is me, and then I just feel bad. And then you walk in like, you, oh man, I stink. And then you walk in self-focus again, and just instead of just saying, here I am, God. Change me, make me new. Okay, I gotta keep going. I've got a lot, guys. <sighs> So then the seraphim flew to me, having in hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs, tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You know what happens at the altar? When you have an altar experience, you realize what you have to let go of so that God can heal you. And what happens oftentimes that he will bring fire. He will bring something to take away. It, it, it'll be a payment. It'll be a, it'll, it could hurt, but it also is very helpful. So the seraphim took the burning coal and put it to his lips because he identified that his lips were unclean, right? Because he wasn't saying holy. He was just recognized how unholy he was. So the seraphim put it on his lips. And here's what happens in the fire. And I, I want to talk about the altar a little bit because it's important in the throne room and that we have to have an experience and a response. And that happens at the altar. But next week, Pastor Sam will be preaching on the altar. You don't want to miss it. Come back. Um, oh, just because I, I want you to have the full revelation of his presence. Okay. But when we understand that there's something hot or burning that touches us, the intent is not to harm us. It's to take off the things that should not be there, burn it off, and then strengthen what should remain. It's kind of like gold. When it's refined in the fire, it, it, it takes off all the impurities. It takes off all the stuff that stuck to it when it was buried and when it was hurt and when it was spat on, whatever. And it takes that all off, but it makes the gold shinier. When you are at the altar and the presence of God burns off things that should not remain in you, it causes you to shine for him brighter. We got to get to the point that we are ready to sacrifice for him. Come on, no more self-focus, no more self-importance, no more being obsessed with becoming better in our higher self. Stop it. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> so the altar that's what happens when something burning and hot comes because God changes us. And it says, your guilt has been taken away and your sin atoned for. How many times do we come into the presence of God and we're so focused on what needs to change in us that we stop seeing that the holy God is going to rescue you himself. But then we get into the presence of God and we're like, what else can I do? What should I do after the pastor preached that? What can I apply? What can I change, move, shake, influence? What should I do different? You should think about what to do different, yes. 
But you need to see how holy he is first. When you see his holiness, it increases your hope that you don't have to rely on yourself or to your own tactics or your own brain. He's much smarter than you, okay? So the throne, the altar, and now our worship. Isaiah is commissioned by the Lord and the voice of the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And it reminds me of the scripture in Genesis 22, the first time we see worship introduced in the word of God. It's Genesis 22, 5, and it says, Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over here and worship and come again to you. Does anybody remember this story? Abraham is about to uh, sacrifice his son as a sacrifice to God at an altar. So this is one of the first altar experiences that you understand, that altar experiences bring you to worship. Our response to the altar experience is our worship. And this is what he says, here I am, my father, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire You hear this? The fire and the wood. This is worship to us when we can respond to the altar experience where God meets us in his presence. Then it's our time to worship him. It's our time to worship him. And sometimes our worship is like, it's really sad. It becomes self-focused. You're like singing his praises and you're like, oh, I love you, Jesus. (laughs) I suck. Am I allowed to say second church? I'm not sure. Maybe we could bleep that out. Just kidding, kind of. Okay. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm so, woe is me. No, our worship is about him. Stop making worship about yourself. We are stealing glory from the God of the universe when we are worshiping our situations. We need to start magnifying him above our situations. We need to start saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. John Tyson, a pastor in New York, he says, the angels have been locked in a room with God for thousands of years and they still haven't got past the word holy. We need to stop trying to move past the word holy and be like, okay, this is what I'm gonna do. This is my three-point sermon to help me get through this. This is how I'm gonna figure it out. No, holy, holy, holy. But then you might be thinking, man, but what about me? I've been praying for these things. I've been praying for my kids. I've been praying for this relationship. I've been praying for provision for a job. I've been praying for all these things, Chrissy. This is not relatable. My goal is not to be relatable today. I can't relate to all your situations. I can't fix your situations. The pastors of this church will not be as much help as you think that they will be. You know what I'm gonna keep doing? I'm not saying don't come to me advice or I'm I'm gonna pray for you, but I'm gonna pray for you because I trust a holy God for you. I trust a holy God for you because here's what happens. 2 Corinthians 3, 18, it says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. What is this saying? It's saying when we behold God's glory, remember the glory is 
his holiness that has been hidden, but when he reveals himself, it's his glory. When he reveals himself through the stage, through people, through good things in our lives, he reveals himself that he should get all the glory. He should get all the glory. But some of us are still so desperate for God to move and be more helpful than holy. So my question to you today, are you gonna worship God for his holiness before his goodness? Are you gonna worship God for his holiness before his helpfulness? Will you worship God for his holiness before his love? You're like, wait, 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 now don't touch love. I understand helpfulness. You know, he can help me <laughs> if I just identify him as holy. But you're like, well, but love, God is love. But listen, you know how many different definitions people have of love these days? It's ridiculous. So many different definitions of love. And can I tell you, there's only one definition of love because there's only one creator and he is love. If he is love, some people think, oh, that's who God is. That's who God is. I don't like this holy God thing in the Old Testament. I just like the New Testament, Jesus, who loved me. He's like my bro. He's gonna come and help me. I don't know why I'm talking like this. But his love isn't love if it's not as pure as he is holy. So many of us are redefining love based off of our standards, but there's only one standard and the standard is pure and holy, holy, holy. Will you worship God before you worship his goodness? Will you worship God for his holiness before you worship him for his helpfulness? Will you worship God for his holiness before you worship him for his love for you? He deserves all the praise. He deserves all the worship. He's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go fast. But I want you to see what happens is Isaiah is sent out and, he's, and, and, and the Lord says, go tell everybody. Go tell everybody about my holiness. So, to go tell everybody about my goodness. I think some of you can relate to this. What happens when he tells everybody, like everything goes not well. <laughs> Nobody believes him. He, he says, go and say to the people, but they're gonna keep on hearing, but not understand. They're gonna keep on seeing, but they won't perceive. You're gonna make the heart of people dull. Their ears are heavy. They're blind in their eyes. I mean, it's not going well for Isaiah. Have you ever like come in here and you have a great service and then you go out and you're like, woo, church. And then everybody around you who doesn't believe you're just kind of like, ah, right? And it kind of silences you. And it gets to the point where he says, but how long, oh Lord, should I continue to tell people and they're just gonna continue to reject me? And then the Lord says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and forsaken places. I mean, it's just gonna get bad and things are gonna burn to the ground and all that's gonna be left of this oak of people and all these people who are rejecting you, it's gonna look like a stump. The holy seed is its stump. And look, go with me on this. I need you to understand that what's happening is that God is majestic. God is a splendor. He is holy God. He, he, he's telling us to go 
and tell everybody about His holiness and His goodness, and you will be rejected. Can I just tell you right now, in this place, you will be rejected. Jesus was rejected, so how can we expect not to be rejected? It's great when some people listen and some people come to church with us, but it will be rejected. That's what happened to Jesus. So for most of His ministry, he's a lot of good things are happening. People are loving it. Miracles, ooh, good things, affluence, and oh yeah, I understand that. I've been set free, and then we start seeing God for just His helpfulness. We start seeing Jesus for just the things that He performs for us. And then we reduce Him, church, to a genie in a bottle, and He's not a genie. What God is, is He is holy. And Jesus experienced this. And when it came to the last few months of His life, He started bringing it into just His kids and He, just His disciples. And what does He say to them in John 12, 43, as He's nearing the end of his life here on earth, he says, they rejected me for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And here's the thing that you have to understand. Isaiah 6 talks about the holiness of God. And then Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus. And it talks about this suffering Savior. If I could read it, I don't have enough time. But 53, it talks about this for he grew up before him like a young plant, like a stump, okay? Like the root out of a ground. He had no former majesty. He was despised. This is, a, this is a prophecy about Jesus. He was, oh man, he, he, he surely bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. This is in Isaiah, years before Jesus comes on the scene, but he's prophesying. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He, he was like a lamb led to a slaughter. He was oppressed in judgment. He was taken away and he was put to death. He was put, in, I mean, all these horrible things are happening to this, this person who's supposed to save the world. So we see God, the holy God, the majestic God, and then we see a suffering savior and they both will be rejected. They both will be rejected. And you know why they're being rejected? Because we love the glory of man more than the glory that comes from God. A lot of glory comes from the majestic God, but a lot of glory comes to God when we suffer the way Jesus suffered. So will you worship God for his holiness? Will you worship God for his holiness? There's a song that Matt Redman, he, he sang and he said, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Our heart of worship is predicated on the holiness of God, not just his helpfulness. But what's amazing is like there's an Isaiah 6 God and there's a suffering savior, Isaiah 53 God. And there's this paradox that's happening. So he's a helpful God, but he's a holy God. He's full of glory and he's full of love. He's full of majesty, but he's full of mercy. He is a lion, but he is also a lamb. He thunders his words, but he also whispers your name. He is ter He is terrifying. He's a crazy, amazing, huge God. He's terrifying, yet he still befriends us. He is the king who hung in agony on beams of wood that he spoke into existence. The God of the universe hung on a cross for us. God of the universe the earth is his footstool, yet he is a God who sits on a footstool to wash the feet of earthly beings. This is the paradox of God, the majestic God, and God, Jesus, our Savior. You are worthy to be praised. You are holy, holy, holy. Only the one who was separated and devoted to 
is worthy of this worship. Holy, holy, holy. And the only way we can respond is by worshiping Him and giving our lives to Him. Our lives are worshiped to Him when we sacrifice and lay it all out for Him at the altar. So would you stand in this place? I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond to a holy God who loves you, who wants to change your life. He wants to direct you. He wants to change you, transform you. Beholding the glory of the Lord. When we behold the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed. It's not because we have to do something or say something right. It's just that we are saying, you are so holy. You are so full of glory. Every good thing on this planet, everything in this universe, you deserve all the praise. So I wanna give you an opportunity to either sing with us, but before that, there's some people in this room who need to receive Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. You have, even in this room, you've recognized that He is holy. I need a Savior. I need a suffering Savior, and I need a God that can handle everything in my life. If that's you in this place and you wanna give your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with every eye closed and head bowed in this moment, just give people an, uh, an opportunity. If you need to declare Jesus as the Lord of your life, if that's you in this place and you wanna accept him into your life, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that on the count of three. Raise your hand on the count of three if you wanna give your life to Jesus right now and you wanna start walking with him all the days of your life. One, two, three. I see that hand. Anybody else? Hand, lift them high. I see that hand, 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 hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Repeat after me, everybody in this room. Dear Jesus, thank you that you are holy, that you have led me here today. I accept you into my life as Lord of my life and Savior of my soul. I accept you. Change me, transform me, make me new, and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. In your precious name, amen, 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 amen. Come on, can we give a hand and celebrate? This is God's glory, that He deserves it. People made a decision for God. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.